The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. If you have your Bibles with you or outlines in front of you to Mark chapter 9 and uh, also you can look at Mark chapter 10. And we are going to be looking at snippets from several uh, places here. We're going to be skipping over some things that we'll come back to next week. But what I'm inviting us to look at this morning, and I believe the Lord is inviting us to look at, is the way that Jesus interacted with children. And what we're going to see in these scriptures this morning as we come to multiple brief accounts of of Jesus with children and how he felt about children, is we're going to see the memorable way that Jesus interacted with these, these wonderful, beautiful, distracting, loud, messy people. And we're going to see the way he welcomed children, and we're also going to see not only his example of of how he loved children well, but the example that he points to that children are to be to us as believers, to the extent that we are like children in our humility, in our obedience, in our dependence on our, our Heavenly Father, in our trust. That is what makes us fit for his heavenly kingdom. Not all our accolades, not our strength, not our prowess, not any of these things, but actually to the extent we are like little children we are fit for his kingdom. And here in Mark chapter 9, I'm going to read through several of these examples of Jesus confounding the expectations of his, his own disciples in the way that he interacts with little ones. Let's look first at Mark chapter 9. We'll start in verse 30 to give it a little bit of context. It says this. It says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone, anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12. So he gathers them together in, in the living area of his house, his 12. He says to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all. And servant of all. And he took a child. There are children there in the home with them. Perhaps he's in, in the home of one of the disciples. And, and, and their children are around. He, it says he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He goes on to say after a, a brief teaching about some other things in verse 42. He says, in the same context, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Let's look ahead at Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. It says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's let's pray before we continue. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for your love for, for children that is on display here. And I also thank you for the lessons that it teaches to us of how we are to approach you, our loving Father, and the type of heart that, that you are seeking in us. 
And Lord, I pray that you would bless this word. I pray that as I, I, I speak about some difficult things in this passage, that you would give grace to us, give grace to me as I speak, and give grace to those that hear, to receive with meekness the word of God and, and to respond to it in a way that glorifies you. Lord, we need your help. I need your help today. And I pray that you would uh, bless your people through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. When I come to this passage, we see this, this uh, interaction with Jesus and his friends, the disciples. The, there are all these children coming around Jesus as he's attempting to minister, and the disciples think that they need to run some interference. They need to be like security, keep the children away from Jesus for, for a variety of reasons that we'll talk about in just a moment. And I can understand this. Maybe you as parents, if any of you here uh, have children of your own, you can understand this too. Just this week, I had a really hectic week, and my sermon preparation kept kind of getting pushed later and later in the week. And so uh, the irony was not lost on me as I'm on Friday and Saturday working on the sermon and, and asking my wife, Beth, again and again, please keep these children away from me. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, I got it. I got the object lesson. And um, we'll see what happens as a result of, of the time spent focusing on the children. But uh, see, the disciples have been with Jesus for years now. And they've heard what he's just said. He's told them that his ministry uh, at least as it's been going, is going to come to an end soon. He's told them that he's on his way to Jerusalem, and in the coming weeks, he's going to lose his life. And in the midst of that, he's prioritized them in a way that he hasn't in the past. He's taken James and Peter and John up on the mountain for this, this Mount of Transfiguration experience. He's, he's being very intentional with the 12 and spending this quality time with them. And in that context, they've begun to speculate, who's the greatest among us? Who will rank the highest when his kingdom is established? They've begun to talk about uh, who's performed the best. Who does he look to the most? Who's the most accomplished follower of Jesus? Who does he favor? Surely Jesus prefers the most moral, right? No? No, maybe it's the most zealous, the most passionate. That's what Peter's uh, hoping for. No? The wisest? The boldest? The best public speaker? The most compelling personality? The most entrepreneurial and, and, and visionary among them. No. No, actually, none of that. See, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom that he's come to establish is an upside-down kingdom. It's not at all what they expect. It's flipped on its head. And what he's about to reveal to his beloved, bullheaded brothers is that what is worthy to him is not influence, it's not power, it's not prestige, career, ability, any of those things, but rather simple, humble, unabashed dependence on him. And he's going to show that just as, as children are precious to him, a childlike dependence on him, a childlike heart toward him is precious. And so let's set the scene a little bit. Let's remember the context of this. Jesus is, is outside often debating with Pharisees and religious people. He's been talking about some, some pretty serious things like marriage and divorce. He's been talking about that with people who are debating with him. And we'll come back to that next week. But as he goes away from the crowd in this extremely hectic season of ministry, as he awaits the stress and the anxiety of the cross, he draws, withdraws from the crowds, he goes into a home, and, and, and he sits down only to be interrupted by a stream of children who are overjoyed to be in his company. He gets ambushed by, by little kids coming his way just to be with him. I think it's probably obvious to you if you've been coming to this church for any amount of time that the children are a big deal here, right? We produce them in droves. We, we, we love them. We care about them. I have four children of my own, seven, five, three, and one-year-old. We love kids here. And I think it's, it's obvious to you that we embrace the privilege that it is to raise children in the Lord and to instruct them 
in the Word of God. That's, that's why if, if you ever are self-conscious about your, your child making noise in the service or anything like that, don't be. Don't be. We, we welcome that. We see the example of Jesus here. He welcomes that as well. Now, if you're an adult and you're making a lot of noise and being disruptive, it's a different story. <laughs> but we as a church uh, know how important children are. And when we think about uh, children in our, our context, what we've, we've come to find and what we believe from the scriptures is that you, as parents, your role is, is the most important in raising your children and in, in your children coming up to know Jesus. You can't just send them off to church and hope that that's what will transform their lives. You can't just send them off to, to whatever school and hope that's what is going to fix them. What matters most is, is the home that they come from and, and the instruction that they receive in their home. I've heard Pastor Milton, he said this a couple months ago or maybe a year ago. He said, what matters is not the school you send them to, but the home you send them from. And I think that's true, whether it's public school, private school, Christian school, home school. I've done every single one of those myself. And, and you as parents have to have the wisdom to decide for each child what is the right thing for them and where to send them. But what will be most important to them in their upbringing in the Lord is the way you raise them in the home the way you pour into them, the way you love them, and the way that Jesus loved them. And so we don't shy away from that at all. Children are precious to Jesus, and they are precious to us. Kids need parents. They need mothers, and they need fathers, or they need those, those godly influences in their lives where those parents are not able to be there. It's not a school. It's not a church. I was talking to, to my kids this morning about this, and I, I was telling them about how it's not about going to church all the time where they're going to learn about Jesus. That's part of it. But uh, what matters more is what happens in the home. And they kind of push back on that. And they're like, well, what if you live with your pastor? It's like, okay, kids. <laughs> so I guess I have to pay attention in both areas, don't I? So um, what we can't miss, though, as Jesus is teaching about children and welcoming children to himself is what a revolutionary approach to children this actually was. This is not normal. And you can see how not normal it is by the way the disciples react to it. See, Jesus ministered in, in an era in the Roman Empire in which children were not really valued. Uh, we, we think about children as, as being super cute and cuddly and all these things, and that's actually been a transformation since the Renaissance where children have been elevated in value in society. In Jesus' day, this was not the case. Within the Roman Empire, though the Jewish people would have had a higher regard for children, within the Roman Empire, children were not... Uh, valued, and the environment was not necessarily friendly to them. It's hard to believe, but 2,000 years ago, during the Roman Empire, abortion of children was extremely common, and it was brutal, and, and it was every, every nightmare you can imagine was common. And where abortion didn't happen, infanticide was common. Children were often unwanted and abandoned, especially if they were disabled, handicapped, or in many cases, if they were girls. And so, so a common thing that would happen in cities like Rome is that, that infants would be abandoned on trash heaps and left behind, unwanted. So much so, and this was such an epidemic in the Roman Empire, that, that during the reign of Caesar Augustus, as, as the census revealed that the pop population of Rome was in decline, as, as the society had become more decadent and less focused on, on raising children in any kind of ordered way as people became more self-centered and focused on their, their own well-being, their own pleasure, their own pursuits, and the population was in decline. Caesar Augustus made desperate changes in the laws of the Roman Empire in order to strengthen their, his empire, which he saw as weakening as a direct result of the abortion of children 
And young men abandoning the call, particularly young men abandoning the call to be husbands and fathers in pursuit of their own pleasure and license. Now, th this kind of brutality, this kind of environment would not have necessarily characterized the Jewish people, but this is the environment in which Jesus chooses to come and to, to establish his church. It's in this kind of setting. And he comes along and, and establishes this high view of life, this high value on life, and this rejection of pagan practices. This is the cultural environment in which Jesus begins to teach. A culture that at large devalues, diminishes, and discards the lives of children. Not only was abortion and abandonment uh, unfortunately extremely uh, common, so also was the abuse of children. As poor children were often enslaved, prostituted, or, or just recruited into the armies or sent off into the arenas. Can we be honest for a moment? A moment? As much as we'd like to think that we've progressed over the last 2,000 years, that we've moved forward so much as a society, especially here in the United States of America, the truth is far too little has changed. Far too little. It's not lost on me that as we come to these passages on children, that, that God has divinely ordained even the timing uh, of this message. 50 years ago today, January 22nd, 1973, 50 years ago, a law was passed in our beloved country that legalized the termination of unborn children throughout our country. And we praise God, we as a church praise God that last summer that unjust law was finally struck down, but we continue to mourn for the hundreds of thousands of children that will lose their lives in our country this year. And just like the Christian church has done from day one, we as a church will labor, we will pray, we will mourn, and we will we will battle to stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. That's why just in, in very simple terms, I reject terms like, like fetus to describe a child in the womb. We reject the dehumanizing of human beings. We just read before the service in Psalm 139 the intricate way in which God has woven together each human life. Wonderfully made. Created by God. Far before the miracle of birth. So many of you, I've learned this over the last couple months and years, so many of you have suffered from miscarriages in this church. And you need to know this is not the loss of, of, of tissue. It is the loss of a child, and you know that. You feel that. This is not the way that God intended it to be for us to, to devalue and dehumanize human life and the life of children. And when we think about these issues and we think that this is now just the, this new cause, the cause of American evangelicalism, but this has always been the stance of the Christian church. I was reading this week from the Didache in 60 AD, the church in Antioch. This is the church that sent out Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. They wrote about this in very clear terms during the life of Paul to ban abortion, abandonment, and infanticide. Thou shalt not. They made it very clear. That was in the earliest days of the Christian church. And the church had a reputation throughout the Roman Empire for, for caring for the poor, for adopting the abandoned. Tertullian, he writes in about 200 AD about the Christians in Rome. And what he writes about them, and, and this, this just breaks my heart as I think about it. I was you know, out on a date with my wife last night and we're talking about this and we're both like just you know, in tears in the restaurant. Because what Tertullian describes was in the city of Rome, the Christians, the real Christians, men and women, would go to the dumps on an almost daily basis to retrieve children who had been abandoned. 
And they would often adopt them into their own homes. They would nurse them. They would try to restore them to health. And where they could not, they would provide dignified Christian burials for those children. The catacombs in Rome, where, where many were buried, had many graves for abandoned infants. And on the descriptions on those graves, it would have the name of a child and it would say, adopted by, and the name of a Christian family. Despite what you read on your social media feeds, despite uh, all the, the, the things that are put out there on the news outlets, the battle over this in our country has never been about uh, putting up someone's power or someone's rights over someone else. It's always been about justice. It's always been about morals. Christians care about the lives of innocent children. And we as a church will be unapologetic about that. Uh, this is not about politics. It's about justice. It's about morals. It's about being unashamedly biblical. We will stand for those that cannot stand for themselves. We are not anti. We are not against. We are for children. We are for life. We are for moms and we are for dads before, during, and after pregnancy. No matter the outcome. No matter the difficult decisions that they have to make. That's why we support ministries like SLM. We're, we're collecting money for SLM out in the lobby. Why? Because we have seen for decades the care that, that this organization, mainly women, has shown for moms and dads who have unwanted, unexpected pregnancies and are terrified about what to do and they don't know where to turn. But as they meet Christians in ministries like SLM, they, they meet people who are dedicated to the cause of Christ and life and what they receive is compassion, they receive counseling, they receive medical care, they receive resources like baby formula and diapers and, and mental health counseling regardless of whether they choose life or not. Because that's what Christians do. That's why... The church has, the church, and I'm talking about the church globally, the church has and will always offer grace and post-abortive care to those who need it, moms and dads. That's why the church has and will always be leading the charge in foster care and adoption. That's why the church has and always will push to cultivate and equip strong families, present mothers and fathers who are ready to endure the challenges of life to lovingly raise children. That's why the church has and will always fight to protect widows and orphans and single parents and the impoverished. That's why the church has and will always preach the grace of God, God's limitless grace to those that believe they've done the unforgivable. You have not. God's grace is enough for you. And through the cross, he offers us limitless forgiveness and grace. In addition to abortion in our land, abandonment is also tragically common, especially by fathers. 25% of all children in our country will go to sleep tonight with no dad in the picture. Single parent households, primarily moms raising the kids, and, and, and we thank God for you moms. In some communities, that percentage is, is even higher as children are abandoned uh, due to tremendous social, economic, and physical dangers. I thank God for you moms. I thank God for you parents that are, are standing up to pour out your lives for your kids every day. And yet far too many fathers are abdicating their God-given responsibilities to those, their, their very own flesh and blood. And the results are tragic. I, I know these are difficult topics. I know these are things that we, we don't actually want to talk about in church. And I feel the weight of it. I don't want to talk about these things either. But this is, this is what we have to talk about as it's the people of God. And actually, 
I don't want to talk about it anymore in the sense of preaching about abortion and abandonment. Can we just pray for a moment? Can you join me in praying? Heavenly Father, I know there are people sitting here in this room who are are very uncomfortable or or, uh, even upset because they've walked through the tragic decision of of having to... (laughs) They faced the decision of whether to keep their child or not. And Lord, there are some here carrying the weight of tragic decisions. There are some here carrying the weight of, of pain, of loss. And Lord, I pray that you would pour out your grace upon us as a church. Lord, there are many of us who shy away and want to shy away from, from difficult topics because we don't know what to say. We don't know how to stand, Lord. And I pray you would give us strength and boldness to stand firm and to have grace towards those that disagree with us. Lord, we pray for truth to prevail. And we pray that in our country, you would turn us to you, that we would repent, Lord, and that you would establish a culture of life. Start with us, Lord. And Lord, I pray for each person here that we would see ourselves rightly as your precious children. That we would know that no matter how far we've strayed from you, Lord, no matter what we've done, you are available. You welcome us with open arms as we turn to you and receive your grace. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, can we just, I've already uh, talked about some pretty difficult things here. Can we just make it a little bit worse? Can we add to it? (laughs) Even even worse, or to add to the the tragedy of of the abandonment and and the ending of children's lives in our country, there is an epidemic of, of abuse in our country too. Physical and sexual abuse of children is reported every 10 seconds in our country. And can you imagine how often it goes unreported? What is the matter with us? It makes me sick to just think about that possibility. When I think about my own four children, four children that I would give my life for, the idea of any kind of harm like this coming to them, that anyone would intentionally harm, exploit, or abuse children, breaks my heart. And yet, as a culture, as we seem to spiral more and more into rapid decay, this kind of evil has only become more common as children are constantly sexualized, deceived, and used for the agendas of wicked people. And here, Jesus, having just lovingly welcomed a child into his midst in the presence of the disciples, he says something really drastic, and this is how strongly he feels. Jesus, gentle and lowly, he has no patience for this, no tolerance for this. Those that have received, those children as he holds one in his arms in front of them, he says this. He says this in in verse 42 of Mark chapter 9. He says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That is quite a dramatic, drastic statement from Jesus. And yet it's true. It would be better that the terrible outcomes of abusing and harming children, this, Jesus is also talking about those who would believe in him, those who would lead new Christians into error, into deception, into, into death. He says it would be better if, if, if that's what you want to do, it would be better if you didn't even exist because the consequences of your actions are so dark and so drastic and so far beyond just one life. Jesus isn't messing around here. And that is not to say there's not grace toward anyone as they repent. We know there is. But this is the severity of Christ's watchful care over the vulnerable and the helpless. This is no joke. And so Jesus here, he's teaching two 
lessons in this passage this morning. He's teaching both an example toward children, how he interacts with children, and he's also using children as an example of what we ought to be like. Absolutely love being a father to children. And so as we look at the example of Jesus and children, I I will tell you, my children are precious to me and I could not imagine life without them. And here we see revealed in Jesus as the kids are running to him, just how precious they are to him. So as I was studying this passage and I was reflecting on it, on the way he treats children, I was struck by something. Little children want to be with Jesus. Little children love to be with Jesus. They are drawn to Jesus. They feel a way about him that is, is pretty special. They run to him. They want to be with him. They're drawn to him. They feel joy in his presence. And so it makes us wonder, what must Jesus have been like that children feel this way about him? The other night at the dinner table, I was with uh, my kids, and I had the opportunity to talk to them about this passage. And I said, uh, basically to them, I said, I wonder what it was about Jesus that made kids drawn to him. What do you think? And my seven-year-old, my five-year-old, my three-year-old, my one-and-a-half-year-old, they all had responses to this question. Why were children drawn to Jesus? What, what do you think? Have you ever thought about this? Why were they so eager to be around him? My three-year-old Abigail had some great answers. She said that kids could tell that Jesus was the best person ever. <laughs> ever. They knew, they said, they knew that he was kind. They could tell that he was kind. They could tell that Jesus wanted to be with them. They said this also. They knew that if they were sick or hurt, that Jesus could heal them with his touch. My seven-year-old Molly, she, she said, well, just like that lady that touches just the edge of his garment and was healed, how amazing it would, be, would it be to know that if you got hurt or sick, you could just go and touch Jesus' clothes and be healed. That's the trust of a child. Simple faith. My son said that Jesus must have been really happy. He must have smiled a lot. He must have laughed a lot. And my one and a half year old said that they must have been drawn to the picture of the Trinity. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I think she said, Dada. I think that's what she said. But here's what they all agreed on they agreed that Jesus must have been visibly kind and fun. That's what they said. Do you know Jesus was probably really fun? Like people wanted to be around him. Little children were drawn to him. My children, and probably yours do too, they kind of have a sense of people. Like they have this this radar that tells them that someone is unsafe, someone is creepy, versus someone who is nice and kind and welcoming and trustworthy. And, And so Jesus has these children, and they're just running to him. They want to be around him. They have a sense that he's good and that he's safe and that he's enjoyable. And there's something profound here being revealed about Jesus. That in the context of knowing the stress and the pain and the death that awaits him, he can think of nothing better to do than to let noisy, smelly, crazy kids climb all over him. And as they're they're poking him in the eyes and pulling on his beard and, and, and making a big chaotic scene, Jesus is just smiling as these little ones mirror the smile back to him. I can report from firsthand experience that this room was probably noisy, it was turbulent, it was smelly, it was all these things, and yet Jesus revealed to these children that he really liked them, that he really wanted to be with them. I think sometimes we go too far in our minds and we think of Jesus as this gloomy, serious, brooding kind of person, exuding this brand of of quiet, masculine strength that made him a strong leader of men, but that's not what we see here. What we see instead is a single man in his 30s, no children of his own, that radiates safe 
and joyful presence that magnetizes children and parents alike to himself. Are we like that? Are you like that? Do you radiate joy to those around you? This is the kind of person Jesus was, and this is what it looks like to be a real man. This is what it looks like to be a real man. Jesus is tough, but he's also tender. He's strong, but he's also fun, and he's gentle. Brothers, men in this room, make no mistake. Jesus is the perfect son of God. He is a better example of what it means to be manly than you are. And this is what he loved to do. Notice him at the eye level of little ones, laughing, smiling, hugging, blessing. We need to prioritize children in our own lives. I think far too often we want to carve out like an hour on a Saturday where we're going to spend some quality time with our loved ones. But, but that is not actually how it works because the truth is you never know when quality time is going to happen. We need quantity of time with our little ones. And, and in that quantity of time, occasionally, suddenly, they'll burst forth with what's on their deepest thoughts, what's on their mind. It doesn't just happen because we schedule quality time on the calendar. And here, Jesus is a great example to all of us of what it ought to look like as he's patient towards his children, he's unhurried, he gives them his undivided attention, and, and, and the children can be sure that he wants to be with them. How? Because he's made it clear to everyone, present, both in his words and his actions. I, I wonder how often in this kind of unbounded, work-from-home world we live in, how often our children perceive that whatever is on our handheld screen must be more important than them. Whatever is, is coming through our AirPods in that moment must be more important to us than they are. That's not to say we don't have boundaries where, where we carve out time to work. It's not my point. My point is here, I wonder how often our, our outbursts of anger and frustration and all these things are meant to punish our children rather than to discipline them and raise them in the Lord. I wonder how often we are so unintentional with our kids. And when we withhold our affection, our approval, our attention to, from our little ones simply because we haven't experienced it in a in a healthy way in our own lives. And we remain under the paralysis of mirroring a bad example from our own parents or, or loved ones in our lives. Maybe you've never experienced the loving presence of adults, the loving affection of adults in your own life. If that's the case, I'm so sorry. Jesus shows you a better way, and he shows here in this passage that you, as you believe in him, are his son, and his daughter, and his precious child, and he longs for his affection on you. Jesus is loving this as the kids are all coming to him. But the disciples are convinced that he has better things to do, more important things to do, so they do their best to quiet the commotion, to usher the children out of the room. They want to get them out of Jesus' hair, quite literally. And ironically, in preventing the children from coming to Jesus, they were making behavioral and maturity demands of these children that they don't live up to themselves, right? The disciples are a mess. They're all over the place. They're constantly arguing. They're being loud. They're doing all this kind of stuff. And here they're saying, these children shouldn't be here. And they have, as a result, become a barrier to the Lord instead of a bridge. Now, I don't think these disciples despise children. I don't think they're afraid of a little chaos. They've experienced quite a bit of it themselves. But they're missing something here. And, and you get the... the impression here that what their intent is is to protect him to guard his time to give him rest to give him an opportunity to focus on the quote most important things when i ask my children why the disciples might have wanted to keep the kids away from jesus they had some interesting answers and i think they nailed it they said they must have thought that jesus was too busy to spend time with kids they said they thought he must have needed rest from working so hard and he couldn't rest with all the kids around. 
And then they said, they must have thought that children weren't important. (laughs) That's where they're wrong, right? Jesus always had time for these children. In fact, if he were here right now, I would guess that he wouldn't be in here with us. He'd be up in King's Kids serving right now. Instead of wearing a t-shirt like our old ones used to say, which say, I teach kids about Jesus on the back, he'd have a shirt that said, I teach kids about me on the back. (laughs) And here the disciples are trying to keep the kids away from Jesus, but it says he's indignant. He gets mad about this. And and he told them to let the children come to him. And as they come to him, I I am confident it wasn't in perfect order. There were probably a lot of kids that were both being seen and heard, and, and it was probably quite messy as each one of these children vied for Jesus's attention and they got it from him and he wanted to give it to them. I know what you're thinking, Mark. Kids are a handful. They're noisy. They're, they're messy. They're always getting into trouble. We can't concentrate when they're around and I, I get it. I've got kids of my own and, and I'll say they're not convenient, are they? But they are a glorious, wonderful inconvenience and they are a privilege to raise and to spend time with. And Jesus, once again, he sees their interruptions as opportunities for ministry. This is Christ-like love. Jesus' example to children shows us no other way. And we see here in this passage his care for these children. As we come to a conclusion, I'm going to go through these quite rapidly, but, but if we just stop there, if we just said, the point of this passage is uh, Jesus is nice to kids, and you should be too, would that be the point? It's part of it, right? It's part of it. Jesus is making a point about how important children are to him. But he is also showing children's example for us. Just as we see Jesus' example towards these children, children are also an example of of our relationship with God and what it ought to be like and an example for us to follow. That that is not to say we are to be childish. Some of you got that down. We are to be childlike. Childlike. And there's a big difference. So what do we learn from children? What is the example here? The first thing I think we can see is that children are an example. They show us an example of our worth to God. What does it mean to be childlike toward God? Children are precious. They're precious to their fathers. They're precious to their mothers. And we are children of a loving, perfect father. And Jesus teaches us that when we pray, we are to pray our father, our dad, and to know our worth to him. I have children of my own, and, and I, I love them. They're cute. They're all these things. But in a lot of senses, my love and affection toward them is unearned by them. They didn't really do anything to earn it. And that's the way God's love is towards you. His love for you is unearned, and it's unbreakable. It's, you are lovely just because he loves you. And just as children unashamedly expect to be accepted and loved by their parents because of the grace of God, because of his adoption of you as sons and daughters, you too can approach him with the same attitude. That children are an example of our worth to God. Secondly, we see that children are an example of humility. Children are not always humble. Sometimes you can see kids that brag a lot, and that usually that's the result of some kind of lack in their lives from their parents and from loved ones. But children, uh, by default, are an example of humility. They, they don't have a lot to offer. They are not proud or self-sufficient. They need us. The third thing we see is that children are an example of dependence. So dependent. John fifteen five says this. It says, he says, abide in me, for apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. 
And similarly, we see an example from children as they depend on their parents for everything. In the same way, we ought to come to God with open, empty hands, knowing our own poverty, our own dependence on him, and see and grasp that dependence. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Charles Spurgeon used to always say, uh, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Fourthly, we see that children are an example of growth in obedience. Growth in obedience. Children learn over time to become more and more obedient to their parents, ideally. And and as they do, they grow in maturity, they grow in wisdom, they grow in stature, they grow in favor. Are you growing in the Lord? Every day are you responding to his instruction, his testing, his word, but by submitting to him in obedience like a child? Fifthly, we see that children provide an example of trust. Kids really trust us, don't they? Children believe what their parents tell them. Uh, Just last year, my daughter Molly, seven-year-old, began to learn the difference between opinions and facts. Up until that point, she had trusted everything that I said. And then after learning the difference between opinions and facts, she said, Mommy, Daddy thinks all of his opinions are facts. (laughs) That's the beauty of younger children, though. They believe everything that we tell them. They trust us. They trust that we're going to keep them safe, uh, that that when we say something, we're going to follow through on it. And and similarly, we can trust the Lord. That's maybe the majority of what a childlike dependence on the Lord is. It's a trust that he is good. He's good and he is able. And so we can trust in his work on the cross. We can trust it without reservation. I know this isn't easy for us. We, We want to trust in our own abilities. We want to say to ourselves, I meet my own needs. I can figure this out on my own. I'm strong. I'm capable. I'm all these things. But what the Christian life is, is it's a daily dying to self and putting our faith in God alone, acknowledging our dependence on him, trusting him, and accepting his free gift of love toward us. Let us therefore come before him with humble and contrite hearts. I'm going to close with this scripture in 1 Corinthians 1.27. It says this. It says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The kingdom of God is not for the wise or the powerful. It's for the childlike. So let us bring him our hearts this morning and and be like a child in his loving presence. Let's pray right now as the band comes up. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good father. That you love us. Lord, there are some here that, that... cannot even bring themselves to see themselves as children. I pray that right now you would soften our hearts. Let us see ourselves rightly before you as helpless, dependent, trusting, obedient, humble children of the King. And Lord, let us live in the glory of our inheritance in you. Lord, we love you. We pray that your spirit would, would work in us and through us for your glory alone. Make us like children, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.